This is Think Like a Genius. Tread the line of cognitive psychology, neuroscience, persuasion, and so much more than gray matter. Let's dive in as we fall into a world of intrigue. And now, Think Like a Genius with your host, Lance Vantanar. Good evening, listeners. Welcome to the Thinking Like a Genius podcast episode. Today's guest that I've got with me is Karen Dark, who is a Paralympian, a gold medal winner, MBE, and also somebody who I'm really actually fascinated to find out a bit more about, was also involved in geology. Bit of interest from my side of things, Karen. I studied agricultural research when I was in South Africa before I came over to the UK. And obviously, one of the areas which we studied was soil science and obviously the sciences that are involved with that. So first of all, give us a bit of an introduction about yourself and a bit of your story and how you got to be where you are currently. And then we'll start diving into some of the other topics uh, which we've mentioned. So a whirlwind through my life in a, in a space of a minute, maybe. <laughs> well, since you started with geology, I'll start there. I grew up in Yorkshire in England. I actually started studying medicine and then realized that I wasn't really enjoying digging holes in bodies that much. And when you leave the medical school at Leeds University, you walk past the earth sciences department. And I found myself looking up at the sign and thinking, hmm, that sounds pretty good. And when I was 10 years old, my mum and dad were teachers and they swapped jobs and houses and we lived in America for a year. It was a year just after Mount St. Helens had exploded. And so I've just grown up like that year in America was just immersed in the land of volcanoes and Mm -hmm. um, Yellowstone and all these incredible national parks and this world of geology. So that got me really fascinated. So yeah, I went on, I ended up studying gold, did a PhD looking at gold in the Bolivian Andes, never saw any for the whole time I was studying. It was all microscopic and beyond visible with the human eye on the under super, super, super strong scanning electron microscopes. So yeah, I think in my final week, I finally saw some gold. And then partway through that PhD, I broke my back in a rock climbing accident. So became paralyzed from the chest down. So my, my studies in gold geology in Bolivia changed a little bit because I had to kind of adapt to the fact I couldn't walk anymore. But I did still go out to Bolivia and do a lot of field work out there. And yeah, then I started a career working as a geologist, but hated sitting in an office all day, sitting in front of a computer, and then had an unexpected radical transition into learning and development, mentoring, coaching, fascinated by, I think I think my accident probably just triggered my interest in human development and growth. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of sent me down a very different path. So I ended up restudying I've done various master's degrees and other degrees. I'm like, so many studies, but I, I like to keep learning um, mm. about, yeah, about how we learn and grow as human beings. And that's kind of been a parallel journey with my own journey through life and the challenges of becoming paralyzed and then going on with this passion for wilderness and adventure, which has really been, at, which is really at the core of my being. I get, you know, get labeled as Paralympian, but actually my heart is much more in exploring the planet and exploring cultures and ways of seeing and being in the world and so yeah I've had kind of I'm very much interested in the internal explorations as much as the external explorations so very fascinated by healing and alternative approaches to healing and well-being Mm -hmm. kind of worlds of invisible energies and ancient systems of medicine etc so yeah that's kind of my a bit of my background and then yet unexpectedly partway through 
well, in my 30s, I suddenly got into Paralympic sport, mainly because there was going to be a Paralympic Games in London. And I just thought it'd be really cool to try and get to one in my own country and have friends and family there and just see if that was possible. And then that unexpectedly took me into a career ever since then. So really kind of, yeah, I don't know, lost count now, a 14-year career so far of 13-year career of Paralympic sport in, in hand cycling. So more recently, I've integrated that again with some of my adventures and exploring and writing. And yeah, that's a, that's a positive history. That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a positive history. Some areas I just want to explore a bit more about. You mentioned some of the healing. You got some references on your website about South America's and alternative healing. What have you discovered and what have you learned from going through that process of learning a lot more about yourself healing physiology and going down that path and how has that changed your perception and your approach to day-to-day life Mm. so I think that journey with healing has made me realize so I'm extremely grateful to western medicine it saved my life on many occasions I can probably have five near-death experiences where western medicine has saved me but I, I think when it comes to more chronic conditions or other health problems that aren't trauma related then Mm -hmm. there's a lot that we can do for ourselves and I suppose I've been exposed to realizing that you know when we have the more disease we have in our life you know the more likelihood of having disease in the body and so bringing just you know I think we're we're designed to, to try and be in balance and maintain that balance and that's what I strive to do every day in the way that I approach and practice every day. But I've certainly not got that right along the way. And it's been a huge learning journey. And I think when our body is really out of balance, then that's when we can have other problems and things can set in. And that, you know, that being out of balance can begin mentally, physically, emotionally on different levels. So, you know, kind of working on all the levels all the time. Yeah, that's a bit of of an overview. I think my most impactful My journey with healing probably began with Chinese medicine and acupuncture. I received it and noticed quite profound effects emotionally when I received it. And then I went on to study it. And then since then kind of pretty much never stopped studying different modalities of healing and not practiced as much as I maybe could have done. I've lacked confidence in myself to practice for many years, but that's kind of part of my journey is just that trust in self. And so I am practicing again at the moment and really quite enjoying beginning that journey again after dropping it various times. But one of my most profound experiences was in South America, in Brazil, where it's a long story and I don't want your listeners to write me off as a crazy person before we've got anywhere, but (laughs) going there and being chopped open by a spirit surgeon after reading a book by a Japanese journalist and, um, It was a very, very profound, life-changing experience for me. Not that I walked away from my wheelchair, but what it really did was blew my mind with what happened there. The fact that I had bloodless, painless surgery with no anesthesia, no hypnosis, no evidence of anything. It just, nothing, nothing was sterile. It was just crazy in my world, you know, from the paradigms and the culture that I've grown up in. In South America, people seem to accept it as something normal but for me it wasn't and it really blew my mind about what is possible and how we we know so little and we you know limit ourselves with fairly fairly 
limited ways of thinking often. So I think it just opened my mind up to the realization that so much is possible and that our minds are hugely powerful and we are hugely powerful. And we just, yeah, I just kind of think we know so little and it just really shifted my way of viewing the world and made me realize that, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to discover. And I think the discovery is part of life and it never really fails to um, continue. It's always very exciting. I must agree with you on that aspect with regards to the mind's ability to do things way beyond what we think we are capable of. And it's been a fascinating journey myself to go through a lot of the experiences I have over the, over the periods of, uh, of my life and some of the things that I've had. Uh, I grew up you know, fairly nondescript. I've never been a, although I enjoyed learning, I've never been a good exam take, taker. So my my process of, of learning is I tend to read a lot, I tend to study a lot. And a lot of my own drive when it comes to health and wellness has become because I suddenly started having an issue with eczema when I was 18. Just came out of the blue, no reason for, for having it. Uh, and it took me a good 10, 12, probably 15 years to finally resolve it. And it came down to nutrition. And I am now very, very big on nutrition because the simpler your nutrition is, the better your nutri- nutrition is, the better overall results you're going to have. Now, the other thing that I've also started getting a lot, a lot of interest into is the combination where the physiology, the brain, and psychology intersects and to find that you could say sweet spot that you can okay. get all of them functioning in the right way and getting that optimum that you can work on as much as possible in any given day. Now you can go to the nth degree where you go for states of flow, which is a completely different story. And that, that changes the dynamics quite dramatically. I haven't had a chance to really spend a lot of time to tests states of flow especially the last two years because some of the things that i want to do like maybe wingsuit or you know skydiving or something of that nature has been restricted obviously but the only other option is to go surfing at the moment surfing is not the best place over here where i am at liverpool because the sea tends to be very flat but i used to do uh, when I was in South Africa, I used to go down into the sea, and that was probably closest I came to being addicted as actually being in the ocean, being in the sea, catching waves, uh, having that level of unpredictability that goes with it. So, yeah, that's that's probably the one area which I would really love to have some opportunity of, of diving into. Yeah, I don't, you- I don't think we need extreme sports to experience flow, though. I think we can find it in everyday life. and. Yeah, it's, it's obviously an area that I have experienced through sport when I'm racing and you just get that sweet spot every now and again mm-hmm. where you go out, you have some amazing, or you just feel incredible. You don't even notice that you're working so hard and, but you know, it just feels effortless. But yeah. effortless being or effortless doing is something that I'm experiencing more and more in life. I think the more, the more I explore this world of, of connectedness and discovery of self and invisible energies. It feels like I'm, I'm experiencing more and more life in flow. Um, mm-hmm. And I would describe that as effortless kind of effortless doing and being. So like I'm amazed this winter. I seem to be training really hard. I'm training for the Tokyo Paralympics. I'm 
working really hard and if I look if I was to write down everything that's on the horizon or that I'm involved with it would in theory just feel totally overwhelming but it just doesn't feel overwhelming at all it just feels like it just happens easily and as long as I don't allow myself to get you know to go into the world of feeling stressed by it and I just go go with the flow then I find that I'm in the flow and everything feels really really good and enjoyable as well so it's interesting about whether or not it's something that necessarily is connected to some kind of extreme sport I think maybe the key is finding ways to experience it in everyday life rather than needing to escape everyday life to find flow because everyday life is too difficult you know what I mean yeah I think you have to really focus on awareness that's a key thing when it comes to if you really dive into flow states or anything of that nature. And if you read any of Stephen Kotler's books, he talks about a lot of the athletes being in a state of heightened awareness, mm-hmm. very, very focused, very present, which allows you to get into that very relaxed, easy, you could say, ability to function. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the areas where you get to that point where you feel everything kind of falls into place, even though it's but it's it's getting that right balance between not overarching or overreaching yourself to a point where you're fatiguing yourself. You you're almost on that edge. You're not pushing yourself way past your ability. It's just outside of your current capability. Yeah, he says which four means, percent, doesn't he? Four yeah. percent challenge beyond your skill level, so that you're just in that sweet spot yeah. of um, growth. <laughs> yeah, and the other area which I think is quite fascinating is that when you get to that point, it actually ties into mindset because I love the whole concept of mindset is actually just a push of your capability. And by testing your capability, you might not have the current confidence in doing something, but once you start start with a process and you push yourself slightly in each given case, you get to the point where, oh, I can do this. And then you start building confidence and you also start building momentum. And I equate motivation uh, almost like uh, and being involved in something like having a, a positive and a negative charge like a battery. Energy doesn't flow on itself. If you don't do anything about it, it stays static. It needs a positive and a negative. So negative could be something that's pushing you away and the positive what you want to achieve and the, the end goal. So you're working that in-between state. And, and the more you... The more you get involved with the process, more you actually get into that flow of movement, the more you're going to build up a momentum and a process and skill, everything else that comes from developing that capability. And as you start pushing your capability more, you start realizing you are capable to do, do more, so you become more confident. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a bit of a you have to say, working theory and a, and a principle that I've, I've basically decided to, to look at. But the, I mean, the law, the, the law of duality. Nothing, nothing exists alone. There's always an opposite. So yeah, dark and light, strong and weak, happy, sad. We we can't know one without the other. So there's always this kind of duality of existence, and that's um, whether or not we have to be escaping one and moving towards the other. I I don't know whether I really go with that or not. But that awareness that both, yeah, that awareness that both exist and the the experience of both. It can only it's the only way to know what what is, isn't it? Or to experience mm-hmm. it from the other. Yeah. Your mindset workshop. I was very interested to read through your blog post about that. Can you tell people a bit more about your principle and your approach and also how you go about teaching that? 
Yeah, so it's come about really through combination of not just my study, but my own experience and that realization that there's so many things I've discovered now that I didn't know 10 years ago and how useful they are and then just really wanting to share that with other people. So it takes people through a kind of process of getting to know their conscious mind a little bit more. So that awareness piece, becoming aware of what is going on in your head, becoming aware of of patterns of thinking, of stories that you're telling, of language that's mm-hmm. being used. And then also um, kind of like the keys that we get as an insight into the subconscious mind and what's maybe driving us or beliefs that may be driving us from there, which perhaps aren't working for us or serving a good serving us anymore like some i think our beliefs that we have change and sometimes they work and help us and sometimes mm-hmm. limit us so just helping people find ways to access the subconscious mind and perhaps influence what's happening in there as well so those are the kind of two levels i work on and then um yeah the, i talk about the three p's so our psychology and looking at the way we're thinking and our phraseology, so the the language that's coming out of our mouths, and even down to specific words and how we can really change how we feel about something or the outcome of something just by changing even one word. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned before, the, the the way other way into the the body and the mind, and is through our physiology and how we change that to change our our mental state, the, the things that are happening in our mind. So, yeah, kind of working on those different levels really, and. I'm loving doing it and um, yeah, really enjoying the journey. It's taken me a while to step up to it, to be honest. I think it's kind of COVID and lockdown and this ability to work virtually, which has enabled me to bring forward some of this stuff, which previously I I couldn't really see a way to to work with people because I was always away or training. And and so Mm -hmm. even though COVID is very difficult for many people, I realize I'm, I'm actually finding this opportunity within the crisis as well. And, just feel excited about the ability to connect with people in ways that weren't possible before and to bring some of the things I want to offer and share with the world in the belief that they're helpful and finally having a way to do that, which before would have been a bit too challenging. So, yeah. One of the things that you mentioned in your blog post is the perceptual shift about, you know, the giant's hand. Can you tell people a bit more on how, how you felt when you had that perceptual shift because I've got a bit of a approach when it comes to perceptions your your perception is determined by your context and when you change the context you can actually change your perception enough if it's in a specific situation just to give you a bit of a break and to give you a different view but if you get enough of a context shift you can actually have quite a major perceptional shift so what do you mean by what do you mean by the context? Okay, so let's say for example, we take the example of the giant hand where you were you were feeling quite down and a friend told you about think about the, the mountain and the giant hand. Yeah, I can maybe tell that story. So I yeah looking at mountains, feeling sad that I couldn't go there anymore and thinking about all the things that I wasn't able to do and feeling distant from my friends and, and this mountain experience. And a friend who'd been paralyzed a bit longer than me said, just imagine you're a giant and running one of your giant hands over the mountains and feeling all the textures and the colors and the streams and the rocks and just imagine like you're you're up there and in it and feeling it all 
And I kind of thought it sounded crazy, but then when I did it, it really, you know, it really did shift my perception and I suddenly didn't feel so distant from that experience anymore and felt very much like I was in the mountains again. So yeah, mm. so, um, that kind of shift in perception. So in that, in that story, what would the context be? So the context is where you were feeling in, in that state is that you felt disassociated, you felt far away from it, you didn't feel like you were there, you felt alone. And changing the context by experiencing it, touching it, feeling it, you know, feeling the cracks, that sensational, visceral touch, experiencing it not just with your hands but also the smells and the sights and looking at it as if you were there and you could touch it and experience it means that you you're changing your perception by one experiencing it through touch but also visually and then hearing things and the emotions of how it felt so what happens is that your context has been changed now no now you no longer feel detached and away and alone and and separated now you felt integrated part of it experiencing it so you're engaging all of your senses your emotions and your wonderment of the mountain which meant it gave you an attachment and a connection to it so now what happens is your whole perception shifts because your context has changed so that's what i meant by by changing context you can change your perceptional shift sometimes it can be small sometimes it can be really big and dramatic in this case it was quite a powerful shift for you because you no longer felt alone you no longer felt disconnected you felt like you were there you could connect to it yeah it allowed you to i really to like be sorry yeah so that's yeah, that's my interpretation and and how a lot of it and i because i deal with things on a day-to-day basis from cyber crime and, and fraud uh when you're doing investigations, especially when you're talking about social engineering, the psychology side of things, and you actually look at how people behave during a situation and you ask them some simple questions, when you were doing this, what was happening at the time? What what we're doing? What were you working on? And then when people have that shift, they say that they, they have that context which changes as what they were doing or they were doing this. And it could be something like trying to multitask and they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And they think, oh, why do I do that? And it's that, that because that context has changed enough, the self-awareness kicks in, then suddenly it wakes up. And, I mean, some of the cases you'll have something where it's really complex and very well done and you it'll, be, it'll take a while to re-engineer it or to try and explain it. But if you get a phishing email... Somebody will see this email one day and they won't react on it. The other day they will see a phishing email and they make a mistake because sometimes the context has changed because you'll have situations where somebody yeah, gets a fake bank, banking email. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they might not react to it. Two weeks later they will react to it because they're having problems getting access to their bank account or they're having it looks like it's the same one. They're not paying attention to it and they make a mistake. It's because their context has been shift, has, has shifted because of the situation that they're in. Yeah. And that's why I find context and perception is quite, perception is very individual, but the context can determine how that perception has shifted. Yeah. No, which I find is incredibly fascinating. Now. But yes, yeah, we don't, um, so that's a bit like the Marcel Proust saying, we don't have to change the landscape, it's just our perception of it. And the, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Absolutely. And that but that gives us huge power as well to yeah. to adapt our to our world and with that awareness whenever we notice that we're experiencing something in a way which isn't a nice way to experience it, we can change that. Um we just have to be play around with it. And if I'm mm-hmm. increasingly playing with, with psychology, like you notice something, you're like, okay, I know there's a better way than this. I know that I don't have to feel like this. So how do I shift my perception or, or change? If you can't change what's happening around you or outside of you, you can change how you're seeing it, how you're viewing it, how you're interpreting it. So it's um, just, yeah, exciting to constantly play with that. And it gives us huge amounts of freedom and um, and ability to create emotions and an experience of life yeah. which is far more enjoyable than having a, a difficult experience yeah one of the things that really fascinated me is i i did quite a bit of research into various topics and one and just talking about this whole how you can sh- shift your perception is they did some research on people that were in um solitary confinement and they, are, they did quite a lot of research to understand what actually happened to people during those periods of solitary confinement because some of the people said they were, at some point, they were getting really stressed. And because they were getting no sensory feedback or response or any kind of information in, their brains started creating their own virtual environment, their own virtual experiences, and they were physically experiencing things even though they weren't in the room. Mm-hmm. And they were having full-on sensory, normal human experiences because the brain wasn't getting a kind of sensory input, so it actually created yeah. an environment to basically give it something to deal with. Mm-hmm. And it was incredibly fascinating to hear that these guys with this complete absence of feedback and response and input because of solitary confinement had full experiences where they were outside, they were walking they could feel the sunshine, they could smell things, they could hear things, they could sense things. Yeah. And the fact that the brain could create something so, so real when there was a lack of information, I found incredibly fascinating to realize that it can create such powerful experience even when there is no sensory input, which is part of the reason why I find, you could say, meditation and breath control and thought control so fascinating is because you if you're able to physiologically can improve your response to your world it allows you to perceptually manage your situation a lot better and that's and well through my journey i've not been in solitary confinement but i will sometimes feel like (laughs) a lot of it so um i do spend an awful lot of time on my own and I have had periods of time where, yeah, I've been stuck in a hospital bed for months on end, just looking at a ceiling, or as I'm paralyzed from the chest down, I've damaged the skin on my bottom a few times and had to just lie on my tummy for months on end mm-hmm. in, a, in a house on my own. And so it's amazing how good you can get at having adventures with your mind. And through my mm-hmm. life in sport and adventure, there's been you know, various situations where it's like life and death. And if you don't take control of what's physiologically happening right now like a big fear response or a big stress response then you know that's not going to be the best way to get out of the scenario that you're in um so yeah like hanging off the the rock face of el capitan in yosemite national park i I spent went back and climbed went to climb it and i i had a huge fear response like i was literally 
shaking and sweating and crying and I had to just the only way out of there when you're hanging off an over a one kilometer high overhanging rock face that you're tied to for a week is to take control of your of what's happening and mm. start to create a different story and different imagery with the mind which can then flow through to the body so obviously different mm. from solitary confinement but a kind of another another scenario where you know you're creating something different in the present moment and really impacting how you feel and changing probably the outcomes quite radically and it's something that i've used in sport a lot is just i i i will spend time a couple of times a day just visualizing imagining dreaming creating with with mind and emotion what it is that i'm wanting to feel or create um sometimes it's a labor of love and hard work and sometimes mm. it's super enjoyable but it's yeah it's very special to work with i think the head and the heart and combine that creation that you'd like to bring into fruition by thinking it and imagining it with the feelings that you'd have and the power that comes out of that has all of the experience that you've had with the operations and the physical challenges and the medical treatment, have you found it's given you a lot more mental resilience when it comes to the challenges that you're facing? Maybe the other way around. I'm not sure which which one feeds into what, because weirdly I choose to put myself in a lot of challenging situations, especially on some of the adventures I go on. So, you know, there's been various times when I've chosen to leave my wheelchair behind for a month or the most extreme case was three months sea kayaking from Vancouver to the capital of Alaska, Juneau. And that was 10 weeks on the sea, sleeping on beaches with no wheelchair and no mobility and being very dependent on my friends and being mobile only in the kayak and then not off the kayak. And some of the scenarios I've, I realize I've chosen to put myself into, it's very intriguing. I don't fully understand why I've chosen to do it, but I think it's just that I love, I really love being in nature and being part of a team and so that has required, if I want to have that experience of just leaving behind some things which give me a lot of independence and therefore create mm. quite a lot of mental and physical challenge. But I think the combination of those kinds of choosing those kinds of experiences and then what I've learned from those and then having experiences in life that I've not chosen, often the medical ones. Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of the word resilience because resilience sounds like slightly stoical like we have to be like it's all you know really hard work and a struggle which I don't believe it has to be but sometimes I wonder if we have to experience quite a lot of struggle or the feeling of needing to be resilient to actually experience life with less struggle even though there might be challenges if that makes sense. Hmm. I don't think my way I see resilience is more of a, a range that you've exposed yourself to to then realize what you're capable of. Uh, I don't see resilience as being hard and fighting and actioning and battle because resilience is, I think it's more of a range. Some days you push yourself really, really hard to beyond what you think is physically capable. And then when you walk away from it, you think, I never think I would have done that. I mean, 10 yeah. years ago, I, d I started doing obstacle course racing because I wanted to get over injuries. I'd never run any kind of extensive distance. Um, I had, you know, been washed off some rocks when I was trying to get into the ocean. I've torn some muscles in my glutes, my hamstring. So for a long period of time, my left leg was literally, I was literally walking 90% of my, my right leg. So I had to rebuild up my left leg, my capability, and I had to relearn how to run. And I had to 
build that capability in. And I started doing obstacle course racing to push myself and then did some of the challenges like, like fan dance and fan dance. The most challenging one that I did was the Trident, which is I did with a 40 pound backpack, which is uh, over Brecon beacons uh, along the Roman road and then back again. And then I did the nighttime event uh, and then I did the Sunday event. So I did Saturdays, Saturday night and Sunday, which is equivalent to, I think, about 70 clicks and 30 hours with a 40-pound backpack. And at about 2 o'clock in the morning on Brecon Beacons with the rain driving in your face and fog and literally having little or no visibility, yeah, that moment of, you know, realizations, you know, I really got to reassess my life choices over here because if you made a mistake, you're going down the mountain. But it was incredibly painful for me because of some of the injuries I was carrying, but it was one of the most rewarding things that I do. And I still, to this day, would go back and do that event regardless of how much pain it goes through because I feel it's challenging, but it's I get, it feels to me it's so so rewarding. I think and, adventure that gets called a type two adventure. Type one is you, it's great at the time and it's great afterwards. Type two is it's rubbish at the time, but you look back and you're like, that was amazing. And then type three is it's just rubbish and it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some things type, which... Type, one uh, is, type two is the biggest growth. Type one is the biggest fun and type three is just like... Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of things that I've done. I mean, there's been cases where I've done obstacle course races and I've done it in the winter times and I've you know, how can I've had stages of hypothermia doing it? And, you know, when you walk out of that, you start realizing how much physically capable you are. And that's why I became so fascinated in breath work and things like Wim Hof and breathology and all these things and cold therapy and how that actually interacts with the body and how you can actually program yourself to cope with these conditions. So have you, realize, have you injected E. coli into yourself yet then or um, coronavirus? Not, <laughs> no, no, not going to quite to that low. Research no. to that extreme. <laughs> no, no, not quite got to that research. I'm, I mean, I've, there's a lot of things that I've tried, but, you know, I, I still have to make a living at the moment. So <laughs> until I've uh, got a bit of a, a financial independence to do something really crazy and nuts like that and not have to worry about the money, then uh, I'll have to worry about that at a later stage. I've not mastered it yet. I was cycling in the highlands of Ethiopia just um, the year be- just before lockdown and um, managed to managed to I have to well we won't go into the details but I managed to put very dirty water um, into my body not through drinking it. I have to use water to wash out the other end and um, forgot that it was probably infested with bacteria. I managed to get really 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 ill and I'm like okay now is the time Ooh, yeah. to bring in all these systems and all this stuff I've learned and fight the bacteria but I didn't manage to unfortunately so I've got some mastery to do yet <laughs> that's good uh, but it's you know it, these are experiences these are life experiences which you never get and it's you know you just think oh yeah I could have done better but you know it's hindsight you can never never predict something it's still a, a process of learning not I've not reached yeah that. Himalayan guru standards yet, or Wim Hof standards. I can't fight off the biggest bacteria, but maybe, I, maybe I can. Maybe, maybe I can without realizing it now. But 
There's a, there's a lot of really interesting, uh, really, really interesting research, which is tied to vagus nerve activation and breathing, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of uh, Wim Hof stuff deals with. But there's also things that I've been doing a lot of research in because the vagus nerve connects up to the brainstem and the brainstem has actually got a lot of inputs on the uh, immune system. And by improving your breathing and your breath control, you can actually improve your overall health. There's a there's a lot of research which is going into that. So there's uh, that's been a, a really fascinating journey for me. And that's also the other thing that I found out is that by being able to control your breathing, you're able to change your brain states because you're changing the areas of your brain that you're activating. Yeah, and that's you, I've been touching on in my in my program as well, and. And apparently the vagus nerve is also the way for people with spinal cord injuries to have um, orgasms. So there's lots of exploration to be done with the vagus nerve too. <laughs> I think I've heard somebody mention that before. It was really fascinating because it's such a big nerve. It connects so many different parts of, of the body. So it's uh, I, I have heard somebody mention that before. Well, it's the principal, it's the principal parasympathetic nerve of the yeah body isn't it and connects to all the major organs from our brainstem right down to our lower intestines so yeah presumably to our genitalia if it's also the route to (laughs) to much pleasure i think what it does do is that the body can reroute some of the signaling that it gets through various other parts uh, of the nervous system Mm -hmm. so just because it's a part of it's not working the body is actually very resilient in certain aspects and i think what it does it reroutes to various other parts because the enteric nervous system is known as a second brain which is all of the receptors which are in your intestines all the way down uh to to your organs in the in the abdomen and then you've got your parasympathetic parasympathetic and the and the uh, sympathetic nervous system, which works in unison to deal with the stress and digest in the two states of, of between, you know, your, your, your resting and your stress state. And so that's, it's this whole unit that all connects in uh, together and, and functions. So it's, it's a fascinating subject just in itself. Yeah. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> Any case, Karen, I really appreciate your time and I think, think it was a fascinating interview and i would love to have you back at another stage and it's been really interesting i've enjoyed that we've not um i've done quite a few podcasts recently due to meeting people on clubhouse and um a lot of them we've had you know similar topics and this has been different so thank you very much it's been enjoyable (laughs) it's a unknown territory (laughs) it's a pleasure I really did enjoy speaking with you and hope to uh, have another chance to to interview again. Great. Thank you. Tell tell people how they can, one, get hold of you and also about your Quest 79 challenge that you're doing and your your quest that you've got going at the moment just before we sign off. Okay. Yeah. So um, if people want to learn more about some of me and my background, then Karen Dark, Karen with a K, Dark with an E on the end. Dot com is my website and um, you can message me from there and there's access to you know the programs and stuff that I'm running there as well and information there also about quest 79 so that's just um, a thing which the universe has brought to me rather than me bringing to the to the world I won the 79th medal for Britain in Rio in the Paralympic Games 79 is the atomic number of gold there's a lot of kind of backstory to it about the number 79 just keeping popping into my life in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways and 
it did again this weekend at a valley that I ride up regularly and suddenly the number 79 was just sat in great engraved in stone on a wall that I ride past all the time and I'd never seen it before but anyway my personal quest 79 has been to ride seven continents and nine rides so the Rio and the Tokyo Paralympic Games and I've been taking journeys across the continents following rivers and oceans on my handbike with people who on the whole have never done anything like that before so it's been quite an interesting experience and really amazing few years and one continent remains, and that's Antarctica. And then I, I discovered in the process that 79 degrees latitude and longitude crosses in Antarctica. And as soon as I found that out, it's like, okay, that's where I have to go in Antarctica. Um, so I'm going to create a new pole there called the Pole of Possibility. And alongside that, I've been encouraging other people just to do something for themselves, which takes them into that zone that you talked about into the kind of stretch zone that mm. slightly beyond your comfort zone but not totally impossible the kind of thing that would excite you but maybe scare you a little bit or intimidate you a little bit or that you might suddenly tell yourself you couldn't do it'd be too difficult and people have been doing some really special things so all of these quest 79s people are doing are connected to the number 79 so sometimes it's repeating something 79 times sometimes it's 79 seconds sometimes it's 79 days 79 miles one of the first people to get involved was a 10 year old boy from scotland who decided to try and climb 79 peaks in 79 weeks and these were like big scottish mountains didn't even like mountain climbing but just decided it would be really interesting to stretch himself and discover something new and there's been lots of just fantastic ones since then of different shapes and sizes and nature not always physical um, from planting 79 trees, 79 acts of kindness, 79 miles of running, 79, someone did a marathon, but only, he would only run it, his first ever marathon, but he'd only run it after 79 people had donated blood and sent a picture of themselves doing it. So just some really nice, unique, special things, which are just mm. like seem to be spreading like a positive virus around the world and um, having people in different countries getting involved as someone in South Africa right now who's decided she's going to offer free 79 free coaching sessions to help people change their lives or you know improve something that they want to improve just really special things happening so I just feel really inspired by these amazing people who are coming on board and doing things and there's no real financial there's no financial purpose to it there's no it's, it's basically just something that's bringing a lot of amazingness to a lot of people in different ways and spreading kindness and inspiration around the planet, which is um, really exciting to see. It's what we need more of. And we're human beings and we run out of it, but we're also full of it. And just to see people starting to shine and find their inner gold, I'm calling it, you know, 79 is the atomic number of gold. And when we do these kind of things, we always find something special, not just for ourselves, but for people that we touch and had a wonderful thing this weekend. A friend here in Mallorca decided she would spend some weeks climbing the local mountain and she was going to do it 79 times, but she thought three months would be a push. In the end, she managed to do it in a month and a half. And wow. it was originally just her and her two dogs. And by the end yesterday, there were about 30 people on the summit with her, women of all shapes and sizes and ages and one man, I think. <laughs> and they had a drone up there. They've made this wonderful film. And all these women are now so excited that they're deciding they're going to do more walks around the island and now spend 79 days collecting rubbish from all of the island to clean up special places. And that's just an example of, you know, how 
one little positive thing that we do, even for ourselves, can start to impact those around us and really spread that wonderfulness around the world so there more of that will be great <laughs> excellent i will definitely uh, put this out and let people know about it but thank you very much for your time and i wish you all the best with your uh, endeavors thanks lance thanks for having me